Coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast. My left hand and arm were twitching and just making some uh, involuntary little motions. The Sark Fighter podcast brings you the story of neurosark patient Lisa Flew. It progressed to the point that I actually have some permanent damage, I think, in my left hand and arm. I have to tell you that Lisa is the first patient I've talked to who has almost the same issues that I do with a lesion on her spinal cord, and she'll be sharing how it's affected her and her life coming up on the Sark Fighter Podcast. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. This is episode 46 of the Sark Fighter podcast, brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. I am your host, John Carlin, a fellow Sark Fighter. I do this podcast to offer all of us, all my fellow Sark Fighters, hope and help you connect with other Sark patients so you can kind of hear their stories and understand how sarcoidosis affects their lives. And hopefully that helps you understand what you're up against and what you need to do to maybe overcome, whether it's the disease or whether it's the effect of the medicine or both. And they can both be very dramatic, as you know, if you're here in the sarcoidosis space. So welcome. I do hope this helps. I'll tell you a little bit about Lisa. She discovered the podcast when she was Googling around. She was looking for information on the disease, which she hasn't had. She's had it for about a year, as I'm speaking now, trying to figure out how bad it is or isn't when someone tells you you have sarcoidosis. And I would call her an optimist and an energetic person. She is, believe it or not, a federal employee who helps the Navy figure out in a roundabout way whether there is danger lurking near any of our ships. That's pretty cool, right? I I think it's amazing, and she's got a degree in mathematics, and I guess that's what it takes to, to do that kind of thing. She'll talk about that a little bit in the interview coming up. And so, but I do want to bring uh, your attention to the previous episode of the Sark Fighter podcast, which was my interview with A-Tire Pharma's president and CEO, Dr. Sanjay Shukla. Um, A-Tire, it looks like, is on the verge of a breakthrough for a new SARC medication, and that would really be the first medication pointed straight at sarcoidosis. There's some medicines out there that we all use, prednisone, methotrexate, those types of things, but those are, um, those are sort of medicines or therapies that have been developed for other diseases, and oh, by the way, they sometimes work for sarcoidosis. Let's try that. This is a drug right now just called ATAR 1923, which is designed and has been designed from the very beginning to fight sarcoidosis itself. And after uh, patient trials of uh, 30-plus people, I want to say 37 people, it has proved to be very effective and more effective than the group that just received the placebo or thought they were getting the drug but weren't. And, and so Dr. Uh, Shukla talks about all of that in the episode just prior to this one. And if you, if you are looking for a back episode to go listen to or you want to find out more about what's going on, um, I would definitely recommend that you go back and listen to that episode because that is groundbreaking stuff. It's uh, As I speak right now, that information has only been even public for less than a month. And so you kind of can be on the cutting edge of what's coming next. And they've got one more round of trials to go. And if that works as well as what they've done already, then... Yeah, we could be on our way to. Uh, I don't want to. Don't want to call it a cure for sarcoidosis, but uh, it certainly could be a great help to a great number of people who suffer with this disease. Okay, so uh, um, I will be talking again with Lisa coming up in in just a few minutes. Uh, a, a reminder, first of all, the Sark Fighter song is Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. He is a Sark Fighter, and you can hear his story. Back in episode 12, not only is he a wonderful musician, but uh, he was a pretty good hockey player, and all of a sudden he couldn't play hockey. Uh, And he talks about what happened to him and how Sark gradually took over his body, and they found out what was going on, and that all of that 
sort of inspired him to write the lyrics to this song, which he then recorded with his band, which is based in Alberta, Canada, uh, the White Hot Lizards. And uh, whenever people download that song, there's a small fee, and the proceeds from that go to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Occasionally, I post the whole song at the end of a podcast um, so you can hear the whole thing because you just hear bits and pieces of it as I as I use it to move us through the uh, various segments here in the podcast. And I want to share with you a quick story uh, as I am just back from an amazing trip to Utah and Arizona, and there is a sarcoidosis connection here, but I had never seen the Grand Canyon, and I'm an outdoors person. I grew up in the east and uh, the Adirondack Mountains, the Green Mountains of Vermont. Uh, I live in the Appalachian Mountains in Virginia and have for three decades, and, and, and I love the mountains. I love the outdoors. But I'd never been out west, and I, and I had and the Grand Canyon in particular, I, I was just fascinated by it. And I think it's one of those American iconic things that everybody should do, and I had always wanted to do. And back when I became very sick in 2019, I vowed that I would go see the Grand Canyon, even if it meant just walking up to the edge and looking over. And I can tell you that that's that's not the best way to see the Grand Canyon because once you see it, then you want to interact with it. So you want to hike down, you you want to maybe, you know, there's the, the, the river, the Colorado River flows through the middle of it. A lot of people will raft through it and look up at the walls. And, um, you know, so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have that full experience, but I was so sick that I just said to myself, you know, this, I might never feel better, but uh, I, I needed to, to check this off my bucket list. I need to go see the Grand Canyon. And I don't want to get any more dire or morbid than that. But that, that was on my, that was definitely, for whatever reason, the first thing I thought of when I got super sick. So uh, we made plans to go see it in 2020. Then along came COVID and we had to cancel those plans. And that turned out to be, I think, a blessing because we went in, in 2021, September of 2021. And this was a hike and bike vacation. But as you've heard me saying, I've been feeling much better. Uh, 2021 has been a good year for me health-wise. I'm taking Humira and azathioprine or azathioprine. And uh, and so my sarcoidosis appears to be at bay. And let's hope it stays that way forever. But uh, right now I'm feeling really good. So I've been riding my bicycle a lot. My wife and I have been hiking a little bit here in the mountains. And so we signed up for this tour of the of three canyons uh, the Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, and Bryce Canyon in Utah and uh, southern Utah and in Arizona. And then Backroads basically makes all the provisions for you. They get all the hotels set up. You show up with your luggage, and it's just it's just there in your room. It's amazing. And you go out and play in these canyons, and, and you hike uh, on one day and then bike the next and then go to the next canyon. So over six days, we did hiking and biking in each of the canyons. Um and so Zion was amazing, I have to tell you. Uh, that was the, where we stopped on our way to the Grand Canyon, spent two days there. And we did two of the, the very famous hikes uh, in Zion National Park. One is called the Hike to Angels Landing, and it can be considered uh, dangerous. Uh, I just put that out there. Something like 15 people have died on that hike since... Um, I want to say since 2001. I heard a bunch of statistics flying around. I didn't fact check all of them, but um, I heard it from enough people in enough different places that I'm, I'm assuming that that's, that's quite accurate. And you can see why. What's amazing is that the number's not higher. You, you hike uphill uh, through these amazing switchbacks, uh, a whole series of which are known as Walter's Wiggles, which they're just little trails that sort of traverse up and down and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, which is the only way you can get up the side of this mountain because if you were to walk straight up, it would just be too steep. Um, and then you get to a landing, and then from the landing, if you want to continue, you're going to go, you've already walked about an hour and a half, now you're going to go up an hour and a half, and you're essentially climbing on the side of rocks with chains bolted into the side, and you hold on to that chain, and that's what keeps you from falling over the edge. And at one point, it's a thousand feet straight over the edge. Um, it's kind of crazy. 
and there are people coming up and going down and everybody's holding on to that same chain. <laughs> so if somebody's coming down, they kind of get to get around you, but there you don't want your feet to slip. And uh, the sandstone has really good traction, I'll tell you that. Uh, and I didn't see anybody slip. I didn't see anybody fall. I didn't have any near-death experiences, and nobody else did. Um, but um, one of the guys I was with, his hands were sweating so bad that he could barely hold on to the chain because uh, he doesn't normally have a fear of heights. But that's one of those look-downs. It's just awful. Um, and so you go up and down that section, uh, which takes a couple of three hours at least. And then you get back to the landing, then you go back down the switchbacks and you're down at the bottom. And so uh, that's that's called the hike to Angel's Landing. Um, so we did that, but we only had, there's another famous hike in the park and uh, among many, but, but the other one that everybody says is a must-do thing is called the Narrows. And you're going through this slot canyon that was carved by the Virgin River, but you actually, the river is still there. And so you're walking in the Virgin River as you go through this slot canyon and, and you're walking somewhere between, you know, on dry rocks to ankle deep to say shin deep. And then in a couple places it gets thigh deep. And so we walked back in there and back out three miles for a total of like almost 12 miles, uh, the two hikes in one day. And I was absolutely um, just a puddle. By the time we got through with all that, I was just so exhausted. But man, was it amazing. Just crazy. And, you know, so again, this comes back to, um, for me, when I, you know, when I do a difficult bike ride or a difficult hike like that, it's one more victory against sarcoidosis. Um, it's, a, it's a take that sarcoidosis moment for me. Um, and it's it's just... It, it, it's just so fulfilling. So not only to be there, but to be there against the odds of being there um, really adds an extra element for me. Uh, we did go to the Grand Canyon, um, and a lot of people, you know, you can hike in the Grand Canyon. You can go from one rim to the other, which is something like 21 miles. Uh, we didn't we didn't have the time, and I didn't have the energy to do that. I'd like to do that over a period maybe of three days at some point in my life, a new kind of bucket list item. But we did do the mule ride down into, we did about two miles down into the canyon, again, on these switchbacks, and I was riding this mule named Shirley Bell, and, uh, and my legs were very glad that Shirley Bell was doing the walking instead of me that day after the hiking that we'd done in Zion. And so we got to interact with the Grand Canyon. We stayed in the lodge on the North Rim, and they have built that lodge so you can have breakfast right there, and you are at a table. Think of a picnic table cut in half, and uh, you're sitting on one side, and on the other side of what would have been the picnic table is the edge of the Grand Canyon. So like if I had spilled my coffee, it was going to fall into the Grand Canyon. It's that close. Um and uh, that was just spectacular. We watched the sun set. We watched the sun rise. We did the mule ride. And, and we were doing uh, sort of minor bike rides uh, on the off days from the hiking. Uh, by minor, I mean like a 20-mile bike ride, 17-mile bike ride, easy, flat ground, not difficult. Uh, a lot of people riding e-bikes. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know that my wife and I are are very avid cyclists, and um, I actually would have liked to had a little bit more cycling. But it was, you know, it was so amazing to be out riding in the Red Rocks and and just seeing all all of this stuff from the seat of a of a bicycle. Um, and then we went to Bryce Canyon, which uh, I wasn't really familiar with Bryce. They have these rock formations there, these tall spires of red rock called hoodoos. And again, you learn about it and you wonder how you didn't know about it your whole life because they're really cool and famous, at least within that sector. And so I think I probably like Bryce Canyon the best. Uh, and we did a very, a very difficult, if not dangerous, hike there where we were going from the top of the canyon to the bottom of the canyon, from the top to the bottom. And that's just the way the trail was. And uh, it's amazing because there's like trees with green leaves on the bottom. And when you get to the top, it's almost like a desert environment. And then there's all these red rocks and these hoodoos all around it. And again, that's another another hike that uh, that really just sort of said, take that um, sarcoidosis. So there you go. Um, that is, uh, that's, I just wanted to tell you about that. And I, I probably would have shared that with you in the last episode, but the breakthrough that Sanjay, uh, talked about Dr. Shukla, 
Uh, I just didn't want to dilute all that message with some of my personal uh, triumphs <laughs> or or anything personal for that matter. I wanted to keep that podcast focused on that. But today we're going to hear from Lisa, uh, who has uh, sarcoidosis on her spinal cord, uh, in her neck, uh, which is where, where I have it. And she's the first person that I have talked to who really has uh, a very similar condition to my own. And she is diagnosed at 56 years old, 55 years old, which is pretty much when Sark decided to attack me. And it was just amazing to hear, you know, what what she is doing and and how she's been able to overcome it. But she's dealing with this first round of prednisone. She's now um, she's now on Remicade, which is something that's often prescribed. Um, and you know, for me, Remicade worked for a while until it didn't. And she's in that phase where it's working. Let's hope for her it works forever. Uh, but she will be sharing her story, Lisa Flug, coming up about how uh, her hand just started shaking one day and she couldn't explain it and she couldn't control it. And that turned out to be sarcoidosis. So Lisa's story is coming up next here on the Sark Fighter Podcast. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the Sarcoidosis Solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. And Lisa Flug is joining me now from Mississippi. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be on here. Um, I've listened to your podcast and I want to thank you for doing them because it's been educational and inspiring to hear all these um, people who have far worse conditions than I do and are bucking up and doing well. And so um, I think this is very meaningful for a lot of people. So thank you for taking your time. I know you're a really busy person. Well, I do stay busy, but I like it that way. So that's that's all good. So you and I have very, very similar conditions. In fact, this may be a conversation for me that is closer to anything I've ever had with anybody in the SARC space who is, is suffering the same sort of neurosarc symptoms that I am. And uh, just very quickly for listeners, uh, you and I both have sarcoidosis on our spinal cords. And people who've listened to the podcast have heard me describe my situation ad nauseum. But um, I want to hear from you, when did this thing uh, really start impacting your life? Uh, well, about a year ago, I, I had a buildup of symptoms and essentially ended up with uh, twitching in my left arm. My, my, my lesion is in the cervical spine like yours is, and it's on the left side. So my left hand and arm were twitching and just making some uh, involuntary little motions, um, some hurting. Um, so I thought I had a pinched nerve. Um, I wish I had a pinched nerve. <laughs> right. Uh, so I, I had gone to the doctor with some minor symptoms months before that, but had never actually gone to the neurologist. But I went to the neurologist last September. And so that kicked off the whole scenario, right? That was the first step. She, uh, she did an MRI um, and called me back in the office. And I'm expecting her to say, you have a pinched nerve. And she pulls up my MRI of the spine. She did the brain too. And I had no, no, no lesions or anything in the brain, which I think you don't have either. So I it's do not, particularly right. weird to have it only in the spine. I mean, I'm grateful to not have it in the brain. In fact, I joke because at that second meeting, she said, your brain is fine. So I like to remind my husband of that all the time that a professional said my brain is fine, regardless of my memory or anything else. Um, so she showed me the MRI and she started asking me questions like, have you ever smoked? Um, have you had any injuries and other questions I had? I was looking at her like, why are you asking me these things? So she pointed out in the MRI where the spinal cord is, you know, black and open and a cylinder, 
you know, above and below. And then there was this big region of just modelly looking stuff. And I, I finally got it and said, so this area is supposed to look like above and below it. And she said, yes. And I said, well, that looks bad. <laughs> she right. said, yes, it's serious. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it was sort of a shock. So she sent me for um, MRI with contrast and a bunch of blood work and other stuff. And eventually um, it took, it actually took three months to diagnose me, which um, I know for a lot of people, that is a blessing to be diagnosed that fast. That's very, and very I'm fast. That I was. Yep. Yes. But over that three months, it progressed to the point that I actually have some permanent damage, I think, in my left hand and arm, you know, from just from not being able to treat it for three months. All we did was testing for three months to figure out what it was. And they can't treat it because some things can make it worse if they're not careful. They don't know what it is. Uh, so that's right. kind of what happened. After three months, I got treatment. Uh, so now I'm I'm curious because so so I also have uh, sarcoidosis on the uh, cervical spine, spinal cord itself, and uh, but they when they first looked at me, they thought it was transverse myelitis and treated me for that. It didn't work, and then they kept doing MRIs and this thing is growing. And so then they went in and actually did a biopsy, and that's the only way they figured out that it was sarcoidosis. Did you did you have a biopsy, or did somebody have an epiphany and say, "Oh, this is sarcoidosis"? Oh. Um, I didn't have a biopsy, so I have probable neurosarcoidosis, not confirmed. Uh, on one of these, I think the first MRI, she noticed I had enlarged um, lymph nodes in my chest. Uh, so I spent about a month thinking I might have had. Uh, lung cancer too. So that, you know, all this is very frightening because they tell you it might be, and they say all these words of diseases you've never even heard of before. Right. Um, but she sent me to a pulmonologist. The pulmonologist um, uh, actually did a biopsy of the lymph nodes in my chest. And that confirmed pulmonary sarcoidosis, which is why I now have probable neurosarcoidosis because it's either sarcoidosis or it's some other disease. Um, and then the treatment the, the treatment for inflammation that works is sort of another conf confirmatory point that says this is a, an inflammatory disease. So um, I have pulmonary sarcoidosis. It was a classic symptoms. You can look at the x-rays. It's, it's um, fortunately that uh, in hindsight, I, I had had that for a while. Um, it's not in my lungs, but it's in the, the lymph nodes of the chest and in the airway. So. Um, yeah. So you've got sarcoidosis in your body and it, and from what I have been able to glean talking with doctors and, and patients, and uh, it doesn't matter where it is, the treatment's the same. Uh, they give you uh, uh, prednisone as a first line. So have you, what have you been on? What have you been taking? So as soon as they figured they decided on diagnosis, of course, they had to rule out every disease known to man because it's a rule out condition if it's not biopsy. So I had blood tests like crazy, um, allergies, viruses, everything. Um, so they immediately, once they decided, okay, this is neurosarcoidosis, they put me on uh, 60 milligrams of prednisone um, and methotrexate. So uh, and actually, even though I had bad symptoms from the, the, the prednisone, I like to let when you're feeling good, you laugh about all this. When you're feeling bad, it's not so funny. But um, exactly. Uh, but a lot of people said they say they have anger and they're just irritable and stuff. And so I told the people at work, you are not going to want to be around me because I'm already a sort of high energy person. I'm probably going to be horrible. But I didn't have excessive irritability or um, or anger or, or a short temper. I had about two or three weeks of feeling high, like, woo, I feel great. I guess after feeling bad for so long. I had low energy for over a year. I, you know, so I felt, I felt uh, a little high for the first couple of weeks, which I think is common. And then it settled down into what's more normal, which is um, I wasn't irritable, but I was shake. Yeah, I had a lot of symptoms. I was uh -huh. on 60 milligrams. Actually, I took it, I think three weeks or a month longer than I was supposed to, because I misunderstood the instructions and my doctor was really mad at me. I was supposed wow. to go down to 40 at some point. I missed that point. Um, so it was 60 and then 40 and then, and then I had an incident. So right. I started so out on the 60 to mm -hmm. 40. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, and then, and then you, I had had a, a, you had a flare. 
You had a flare, right? Yeah. Then I had a flare when they got me down to 20. So, I think they got me down to 20 and I had a, well, I had, I had a, an incident that contributed to it, which is um, they had me on a antibiotic to avoid having, um, getting an infection, a lung infection. And right. it turned out I was allergic to that antibiotic. And so I thought that I didn't know what was happening because when you have, as you know, when you have sarcoid, sarcoidosis, you have that. And there's so many side effects from the treatment, not to mention any other health conditions you might have when you're in your fifties or whatever, you don't know what's causing what. So I thought it was the prednisone and I was having shortness of breath and other stuff, but it turned out I had hemolytic anemia, the side effect of that antibiotic. They didn't know if it was the methotrexate or the antibiotic, but it turns out it's antibiotic. I ended up in the emergency room. I was this close to having, needing a, a transfusion. They took me off of the antibiotic. And fortunately, within one week, my red blood count kind of came up a little. So I didn't need a transfusion. But it took me about a month, a month to two for my red blood count to come up. About a third of my red blood cells had gotten killed. So that meant I had to go off the methotrexate. So that was a little interruption. And then that's when I had the flare up was having to stop the methotrexate. And the prednisone was a little lowered. And then I had a flare up and got transverse myelitis to boot, which I was confused about, but um, uh, I had gone to a neurosurgeon. He explained to me that I had two things going on. I have the lesion, the SARC lesion in the spine, but I also had a swollen spine from the cervical down to the, you know, down to the thoracic. Now that's, that's interesting because when I had my most significant flare, uh, that's exactly what happened. And, and, I had inflammation all the way down through the middle of my back. So I went from this little sort of, you know, one inch sized lesion to my whole back on the MRI, just exploding, you know, just looking like it was all white and it was terrible. And I was in the hospital and they were giving me IV uh, prednisone. I, I can't think of the exact name, but it's, it's a very concentrated dose. Say it again. It's methylprednisone. Methylprednisone. Yeah, that, that's what it is. Yeah. So I was getting a thousand milligrams a day of that, I think. Um, is oh that what they did God. for you? Is that what they did for you? Yes. When I had the flare, yeah, when I had the flare up, they sent me for three of those infusions, three days in a row. Yeah. I don't know if it was a thousand, but I think it was maybe 800, something high. And, uh, and a lot of people have reactions. I, I seem to be tolerant of prednisone actually, because I didn't have any bad reactions from it, but that did the trick. They gave me that and then they started Remicade. So it's it's kind of like I went from get the normal treatment and we'll step through, try the methylprednisone, the, the least the lower stuff of the chart. There's a chart online that they step through as prescribed treatment. Yep. And because it's so serious at that point, I was starting to feel a little wonky in my hips and legs. And that was scaring the heck out of me because, well, it's just scary. Um, and uh, so they went on that and Remicade because at that point it had been that was, I think, in March. So this had been going on for four, you know, three, four, four or five months, and they had never gotten it under control. I had, I had seen a tiny bit of improvement from the 60 milligrams prednisone, but really not hardly any. So that the, the oral prednisone really wasn't doing, and meth, methotrexate really weren't doing much for me. It wasn't until three months later. And of course, in the meantime, this, you're getting damaged to your spine, right? The longer the nerves are compressed or whatever, the worse it is. So um, but yeah, the, me the methyl, the IV prednisone and the Remicade started to work pretty quickly and they, um, and I've been getting better ever since. So I'm, I'm doing very well under this treatment. Yeah. So you're, you're now taking Remicade as your primary line of defense. Right. And they've, they've decreased the prednisone from very slowly this time. She decreased it from 20, you know, from 40 to 20. And then like I was going down tiny steps to five. I did notice a little bit of return of symptoms once I got to seven. Um, so I, it kind of worries me. Yeah. So I, I, sometimes from what I can tell, looking at the research, which is pretty minimal in this area, it's just little spotty studies. Maybe right. a third of the people with this might have a one-time occurrence and then they are better. I'm suspecting mine's going to be chronic like yours is, which is because every time they lower something, it kind of just starts to come back. So five milligrams yeah. of prednisone, I'm on hold and I get two more Remicades every eight weeks. And then she said, the plan is if I'm still stable, I'll get MRIs. Then she'll start to decrease the Remicade. Mm, well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that worries me and I'm not sure what to do. 
because because they say every time they decrease stuff, it comes back. Right. Uh, but the goal. Yeah, I understand the goal is to the, the treatments are so dangerous and the disease is dangerous that they just try to balance them. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and it's every every doctor has a, a different sort of approach and that every patient is different. So uh, and where are you getting your treatment? Which hospital is it just a local doctor or do you have are you at a SARC center? No, I'm going to a local hospital. Um, I have a local uh, rheumatologist as my doctor. Um, of course, I have a neurologist and a pulmonologist and, and uh, other doctors, but a rheumatologist is treating me. She's only had a few other neurosarc patients, so this is a little bit out of her specialty. And I, I have talked to you about going somewhere else, but I can't fly, um, can't wear masks. So I would have to drive 16 hours to get to the nearest specialty center, which, which I may do at some point uh-huh. um, to just get advice with the idea that maybe if I go once, they can do a long-term consultation and I get local treatment. Right, right. Well, you know, it, the doctor is is doing. I think, uh, you know, fo- following the playbook for sure, right? And yeah. was it hard to get approved for Remicade? No, um, I'm for, a federal employee. Insurance? I mean, I no, I'm a federal employee, and I have uh, great insurance. And that is one of the medications that, by brand name, is allowed. And I didn't have a problem, thank goodness. Um, I know because a lot of people do. And yeah. uh, uh, I, I have had to I've had some maneuvering to get some stuff done, but I've really been blessed in that I have been able to get every treatment I needed when recommended. Awesome. So. Um, so right now you see your body makes seven milligrams of prednisone by itself every day. So seven seems to be the magic number. So once you get below seven, other patients have told me, and I've we've I've actually moderated a whole conversation with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research on the topic of prednisone. So I, I feel like, and I wouldn't call myself an expert. I'm just sort of repeating what I've heard. But uh, and what doctors have told me is they've gotten me off prednisone. Um, that once you get below seven, that seems to be a magic number where where you might start getting some sort of reaction. So. I'm not surprised to hear you saying what you're saying, but the fact that you're on the Remicade is is sort of backing it up, I think, um, is is all good. Um, The the thing that happened to me with Remicade was it started elevating my liver enzymes and they had to take me off of Remicade. Um, So uh, so the Remicade was working with the side effects. Well, it was working. And then I had a small flare. I started feeling a lot of extra tingling in my hands. I went to see the doctor and they did an MRI. He said, yes, you are having a small flare. Let's up the dose of the Remicade. And when they did that, my liver enzymes went haywire. And he said, well, yeah, we can't do Remicade with you anymore. So it's your body actually formulates an, an immune response and the Remicade stops being effective. Um, in some patients. So, uh, and I happen to be one of those patients. So hopefully you're, you're still kind of going through that process. Hopefully that won't happen to you. Um, and you you know, you'll continue to be great and, and everything will be fine. But you know, it, it was at that point when I felt like, well, let me go, let me go see a doctor who, you know, knows all the ins and outs of this because really all they treat is sarcoidosis patients. And, and, you know, my doctor, like your doctor was, was doing all the right things, doing all the normal things. And I had no complaints. It was just, I started getting really freaked out, you know, and, and I know nobody really knows what to do. Right. And you and I don't really know what to do. And it's sort of experimental. So you want somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and you're breaking up just a little bit, but we'll just we'll just keep rolling here. But I just want listeners to to know that we do we do have a little bit of an internet issue here, but but not bad. So um, you're a federal employee. What do you do? Yeah, uh, I'm a mathematician, and I work for the Navy. A mathematician. Uh, underwater acoustics. Okay, so so I mean, how do you what do you do? What do you do as a mathematician? Not a lot of math, thank goodness. <laughs> um, I I um, I work on a database. Uh, I work on um, underwater sound from ships. 
right? The Navy wants to know how noisy the ocean is so they can do certain things. And so I work on, um, on ambient noise in the ocean. So I, I sit in front of a computer all day, basically, if I'm not in meetings or talking to people um, and work on computer modeling, calculations, um, creating um, digital products uh, that go out to the Navy. If that's an explanation, that makes sense. <laughs> now, I mean, typically I think of the Navy, so I think of defense. And so I, I you know, I, I would have thought you wanted to know how far away a submarine was or a potential threat and that kind of thing. Is, is that, so you saw, are you separating that yes. from the ambient noise? Is that what you're doing? Yes. Yes. If it's very loud, you can't hear a submarine. And if it's quiet, you can. And so they, they'd like to have a clue what the noise is going to be like when they go someplace. So we try to put together maps of where it's noisy versus not um, so that they can do predictions and, and uh, operate more effectively. Wow. And so, so you graduated like with a degree in math? Yeah, I have a master's in math ah. from a long time ago. <laughs> that, that stuff fascinates me. <laughs> People who can just do all this math, it's, uh, it's crazy. Um, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm listening to a book right now called The Hail Mary, written by the guy that wrote The Martian. And it's uh, it's an interesting book, and but the guy is constantly doing all this advanced math. You probably would enjoy it. Anybody who likes math would enjoy this book. Actually, I don't like that math math that much, but that's what I got my degree in because I didn't like anything else. Probably would have wanted to be a horticulturist if they'd offered it locally. But um, but fortunately, I don't do a lot of math at work so much. It's more computer programming, understanding logic, solving problems. So it's. It's, I'm not sitting there doing numbers and working on equations all day long. It's not what you might think it is. <laughs> right. Gotcha. So, I don't think there's uh, a lot of people who have jobs doing that unless they're designing rocket, uh, unless they're working for the space program and designing rocket trajectories or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's interesting because you are also an artist. So, you know, usually uh, math people are not associated with, with art, it's sort of the opposite spectrum, but you've sent me some pictures that you've been painting. Did, did, and did you start painting because of sarcoidosis and as a way to deal with it? No, um, I have no artistic ability in my opinion, but I've always been fascinated by painting and how somebody can make something look 3D. So there's tons of stuff on YouTube and videos online. And I started watching artists painting, they'll film themselves just for entertainment. And at some point I decided I wanted to try it. So about three years ago, I got out some craft paint and a piece of paper and just said, let me just give it a try. And I decided to buy a few supplies and get started. So I've basically been, so I'm very, I'm very interested in, in, in the whole process of painting and color theory and other things. So it, it entertains me. I started painting. So I've been painting for three years and uh, I'm so grateful that the, this, that the problem I have is in my left hand and not my right. And I'm terrified that my right hand is going to go one day and I won't be able to paint because it's my primary hobby now. And I, I really am enjoying it. So, um, so that's, that's been fun. But it, it is a good distraction and other things. I used to garden, but I don't garden so much anymore. Uh-huh. Do, do, so a lot of the people that I interview just lose all their energy when Sark shows up and they get on prednisone and so forth. That hasn't happened to you? Oh yeah. This perkiness you see now, this is, this is me being normal. Come here, Dixie. This is normal me. Uh, I haven't been normal for almost a year. That's why I, I, it's easy to look on the bright side, but before I was diagnosed, I was having bad fatigue and other things. And I thought I was just getting old. I would do things I would normally do. All of a sudden I went to go paint a room and within 20 minutes or 30 minutes, I was out of bed to go take a nap. Literally, I couldn't pick up twigs in the yard. I would have to go take a nap. And I thought, man, this just hit me like a brick. I had no idea getting old could hit that fast. Well, in hindsight, that year or two of that, no energy was probably the sarcoidosis kicking in. I just didn't know. And then once I was diagnosed, since then, I have had some serious chronic fatigue. That, that is a problem. I'm in a good space right now. I think the Remicade really helps. Um, but yeah, I've, I've went through months of just not feeling enough energy to do anything. And I really hate that because 
all the other symptoms can be very bad, but when you don't have any energy, you just get depressed. I didn't even feel like doing painting. You just, it's, a, it's almost a loss of mental um, energy in the sense that it's not just your body, I'm tired. And that's what I try to explain to people. It's not just like I'm tired and I didn't sleep well. It's a different feeling. And, and you, it's sort of a, almost a depression. You don't feel like doing anything. So it's more than just being body tired. Um, so yes, I've been through that. And some of that's the prednisone. I actually, when I was going down on the prednisone, had a period of that for about three weeks, which I think was like a, um, a reaction to the, the decreasing prednisone. Um, and then uh, about three weeks before my last Remicade, all of a sudden I started feeling tired again started feeling really tired and draggy. And then I got the Remicade, which I, I didn't know until this one, but they also give me methylprednisone when they give me the Remicade. So they're giving me that at the same time. And as oh, soon yeah. as I had that within one day, I perked back up. So it's definitely a SARC related thing. And I can see where that alone is, is disabling. I, I plowed through work. I had to take some time off work. I was telling people I was so tired. I told my boss that if you come in here and see me laying on the floor, don't be shocked. If it's so bad that I can't function anymore, I'm just going to have to take a nap. <laughs> and your boss was okay with so that? I think that that's a coming and a going. Well, yeah, because I've told him everything I'm doing and I, it was either I couldn't go to work otherwise, you know, I was not functioning. I told him I was at 80% pretty much all of last year. I was at 80% functioning level at work, which is still pretty good for me because I'm pretty, you know, pretty productive. Um, but they knew I was going through all this and I, I couldn't help it. And I could either work and be a little less productive than normal or just stay home. And I had stuff to do. So um, even now, now I, I people don't think anything's wrong with you because you look fine. You know, as, as I've heard other your other guests say, you know, it's a little kind of odd because no matter what you tell people still instinctively, they think you're fine. Um, but even now, sometimes. In the mornings, I have uh, I have uncontrolled yawning. Like I get to work, and the first part of the day, I might be yawning like big gasping yawns that you can't hide that are embarrassing right in the middle of a meeting. Um, and that might happen for a couple of hours, and then I perk up in the afternoons. So it's always been this in the mornings. They're hard, it's hard for me, and then I perk up in the afternoon. And I think that's just a side effect of the disease. Sometimes the medications, but I just tell people I can't help it. I feel guilty, like I'm lazy. I've heard other people say that I feel guilty for being so lazy, but yeah, I can't really you, help it. <laughs> I know if you're a motivated person and you're used to just being active and, and busy. And then all yeah. of a sudden say, I couldn't walk past the couch for a while without laying down and taking a 20 minute nap. It would help a lot, but it's, it was just, yeah. it wasn't even like it was an option. You had to do it. Yeah. And you're like, who is this? And so my neck was hurting real bad all last year too. I had the problems with my arm and my hand is probably my worst problem. But when I was having all that flare up, my, the spot on my neck was hurting every day. And I think that pain wears you out too. So by the end of the day, I was coming home a couple of days. I came home and went straight to bed to take a nap after work. Cause I was so worn out and just hurting. And so, you know, I'm terrified about the future and the fact that these medicines don't work forever and other stuff. But just right now, it's like I'm a different person. I'm not who I was two or three years ago, and I never will be. Um, and so there's a little bit of a, a grieving loss, right? I know everybody else feels this. So I'm just echoing what I've heard from other people. And there's a little bit of a grieving and loss that you just are not the person you were. I can't do. I, and I don't feel trustworthy. So if I normally would go out and do something planned to go far away, you know, or do something, I'm scared to plan anything because I never know how I'm going to feel or if I'm going to go do something. I think, well, like, like my church went to help people with Hurricane Ida um, recovery and I didn't go partly because if I get there and I only work for 30 minutes or an hour and then I'm worn out, I, I don't really know what I, I just can't do stuff. I did two years ago physically, you know, my strength, my, my left arm is weak. Um, I used to crochet. I had to give that up because my, my left hand has neuropathy. And that's one of my biggest complaints actually is this neuropathy in my hand, which, um, which is bizarre because it's actually damaged to the spinal nerve. So as far as I know, there's nothing wrong with my hand, but my body translates it as pain in my hand. And so it hurts all the time, uh, sometimes pretty bad. And, uh, it's so sensitive to touch 
of anything that I don't even enjoy petting my dogs with my left hand anymore. Um, and so I can't ever ignore it. You know, it's, it's, it's a different kind of uncomfortableness that I've, than any other thing I've had. It's hard to explain, but, um, but it, it affects my everyday life probably more than, than anything else right now. Do you don't, do you take gabapentin for the neuropathy? No, the doctor suggested that. And I said, no, at least for now, because it's not so bad that I want to take extra medicine because it can also make you really tired and have other side effects. And I didn't want to go there. So it's right. not intolerable. It's more of an annoyance and uncomfortable. I know I may get there at one point, but I'm not there now. And so I, I try to be on the take as little as needed. It's also a confounding factor, right? When she said, subscribed it, I was still having symptoms and I, I didn't want to confound any understanding of what was working and not working in my treatment. Yeah. So okay. I just you're, sort of, you're taking that just, mathematician. It. It's that mathematician yeah. approach. It's that logical approach. You know, don't, you've got an equation working here. You don't want to add another <laughs> variable, right? Exactly. And yeah, my one day when I was asking probably too many questions, I feel bad for my doctor because most of her patients probably aren't like me. <laughs> But I do a lot of research and I come in and I have questions and I want to understand. And one day she told me that the prednisone was making me hyper, uh, hyper intellectually stimulated. And really? me and my friends all laugh at that because because everybody who knows me says you're always that way. She just doesn't really know that you're always this way. <laughs> so, no, it's can... not the prednisone. It's the me. <laughs> so so have have you. Um considered uh, seeking uh, or, or have you gone to, um, you know, to, to talk to a professional to kind of walk you through the depression of the life lost and that sort of thing, counseling of any kind? No, um, my GP suggested that and I, I declined because I, I'm actually handling it much better than I would think I would. And the truth is, I'm really not having a problem. Like, I'm not depressed now. I worry, but, and I'm sure when I get, have another flare up, I might, but um, uh, I'm not to the point that I feel I need that. Okay. I, I'm kind of a newbie. It's only been a year, and it's, it, even though I had this period of a flare up, um, it's not nearly as, you know, and it was uncomfortable and it was scary and all these other things. And yeah, I spent three months worrying that I was, had cancer and was going to die. And, and I realized that, hey, my life may be shorter and it may be worse. Um, uh, I, I don't think I need that yet. Okay. Maybe never. But, um, I just pray and, uh, and have good support from my husband. Who's been awesome. And, uh, yeah, at some point when my husband can't stand listening to me, I may, I may have to pay somebody. <laughs> there you go. Do you have any children? No, I don't. Okay. Just three dogs. Three dogs. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's what I got. Um, so I want to ask you more about your painting because, and I'm going to put the picture of the egret, I think, uh, with this podcast so that people can see it. Cause I think it's beautiful. You say you don't have any talent, but, but, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't think about art, but I like the picture. Um, so, but you, you are, you, you even took a mathematic approach because you said something about the interaction of the colors or color theory or something like that. What, what is that all about? Uh, well, I just like color because it's pretty, but also when you have contrasting colors, uh, something doesn't look bright unless it's next to something that's darker. Um, how you mix colors to make them duller or brighter. I'm not using all the technical terms, but those things are important to getting your painting to come out right to make it a 3D effect. So when I started painting, um, before I painted, probably like most people, I thought it's just color by number. You just put a color in the spot and that works, but it's there's a lot more to it than that I didn't know about. And so it's the layering of the colors. They're, they have some transparency. So um, so learning all these things that, that I'm not going to go into uh, has part, been part of the fun, learning them and learning how to employ them in a painting to make something look kind of 3D. So I guess I'm a realist. I've tried to do abstract just to show you what a nerd I am. A friend of mine wanted a nice abstract painting and I tried. I cannot do abstract. I am so meticulous and detailed. I will get down into one little spot and paint on it for two hours without even thinking. Um, so I tend to, to, to gravitate toward realism. So I want to get that 3D effect and there's certain tricks you can employ to, to make that happen. And color theory is one of those. Like distant colors, when you look at the mountains, which we don't have here, <laughs> uh, 
But if you look at mountains, they're sort of like a blue, a sort of shape, you know, a, a amorphous blue and not very detailed. You have to put that in your painting to get some perspective. So you're, you're tricking the eye into thinking to seeing something 2D is 3D. And I think that's just amazing that you can be painting and it looks like flat and 2D. And all of a sudden you just add these one or two little things and you go, oh, it's 3D now. I just find that amazing. Obviously, I get excited about it. So I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed looking at the painting. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think it's amazing, too. But I think that's got to be great therapy. I mean, if you can spend two hours just working on one little dot, um, that's yeah. that's two hours you're not thinking about sarcoidosis or other problems in your life. Yeah, and what I'm, I, I really try to have a good attitude now because I know I'm going to need it in the future, so I'm sort of practicing, you know, looking at the bright side of things and just uh, trying to make it a way of life. And I said, well, if my right hand gets messed up, which it might, because I actually got a few little symptoms in my right hand when I had the transverse myelitis, and that scared me. But I said, if it gets that bad, I may become an abstract artist, uh, not on purpose, but maybe it'll be so bad. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> or maybe I can paint with my toes. <laughs> oh, God, you, you, are, you are definitely God, a bundle I'm, of energy. Yeah, this is a, well, not always, but. Yeah. I'm also, um, I just like to make people laugh. You know, it's always nice, but I, I've lost about half of my hair, which I know for women, guys may not care, but for women, well, maybe they do. I had a little thick, thick head of head of hair so much that I hated it. So now that I've lost half of it, I actually like it better um, because it was sort of an even loss, not spots. Uh, but it was a little, it, it is a little concerning, you know, when it first started coming out in gobs. And I don't know if that's the Remicade. The doctor said it could be a uh, after effect of the anemia that got so bad or just stress or whatever, but uh, it's still falling out some and I haven't gotten any bald spots yet, but I'm not sure that's not going to happen. Um, but if I do, I said, well, you know, I'm so grateful. I just try to focus on being so grateful. Like you said, you just want function. If I'm not in pain and I can do stuff, I won't really, I don't care if I'm bald. That's the opinion. I'm you know, the way I'm trying to approach things. If you're not in pain, after you've been in pain for a short while, you know this, after you've been in pain and you're hurting for so long, you have no energy, it feels so good to feel normal. It felt so good to not be a zombie. I hated being a zombie. I like my brain. I like to think, and I hated being a zombie. And it was horrible. I don't want to go back there again. I would go to work and I would tell my, I would see something and I'd say, you need to think about that and figure it out. And I'd say, okay, go. And my brain would just go, Duh. and it just didn't function. Brain I could fog. not make myself. Yes. I couldn't get through it. It was. Um, yeah. And you don't feel like yourself and you're just kind of weirded out. I figured if that's what being a drug addict felt like, I don't know why anybody would want to do that. That is not fun. <laughs> right. So. Well, Lisa, I think you're telling a good story. Uh, you're, you're early in it. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that they just get this under control and, and you can just go back to, you know, whatever it is, I, you know, whatever the damage in your spinal cords probably, as you said, permanent, uh, mine is because the spinal, your spinal cord doesn't repair itself, unfortunately, like yeah. other parts of the body. Um, uh, but, but hopefully it doesn't get yeah. any worse and everything works for you. Yeah, I hope so for you too. And if you want to see the contrast, this is like the normal me on a good peppy day. Someday when I'm having a bad day and fatigue later, I should touch base with you and we should do another interview so people can see what the difference is. We might <laughs> this do is that. not normal sarcoidosis. Might do and that. This is not normal sarcoidosis. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is, is they call it the snowflake disease because it affects everybody differently. And I, I got to tell you that I feel guilty right now because I feel good. You know, yeah. I felt I felt so bad with everything you've talked about and some of my own conditions for so long. And then this summer, uh, I, you know, I have felt, you know, more like my normal self. And I've done some adventures and I've gone, on, you know, a hundred mile yeah. bike ride and, you know, done stuff <laughs> that I never thought I'd be able to do again. And so I'm on here talking about sarcoidosis and, and I'm kind of like you right now. I'm in a phase where I feel pretty good. Yeah. I think that's part of it. It comes and goes and you just got to roll with the punches. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I, 
I hope it goes away permanently, but I, given how hard it was for them to even get this under control, I'm almost certain that this is a chronic thing and the Remicade will probably run out at some point and then I'll be on that roller coaster of, we'll try this drug, we'll try that drug. We'll now try these two together or those two together. And I tell people it's basically like, um, it's like, it's, it's trial and error. The treatment is trial and error to basically just keep your immune system from getting overworked. And that's, that's all it is. And that's, I think at that point, as you suggested, I probably will have to go to a specialist to get some advice just because they'll have different ideas than somebody who doesn't have experience. And I'm hoping that'll be years in the future, maybe never, but um, I'm certainly glad to be a part of this, this, uh, this group and listen to everybody and have touch with, you know, be in touch with you and other people who have a similar condition, because I don't know anybody who has this, obviously especially mm. neurosarc is so rare so that rare. I'm not sure people who even know me, I bet if I asked them if they knew what was wrong with me, they couldn't even tell me because they've forgotten the word already. Um, or could I'm never say it to knows. begin with. <laughs> people, or could people, say it. it. took me a long time to pronounce sarcoidosis. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, Lisa Flew, thank you for joining me here on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's nice to talk to you, John. Bye. Lisa and I spoke a little bit after the interview recording. A couple of the things she mentioned, which I wish would have come out on the podcast, but she didn't think of it and I didn't know to ask. Uh, She said that the prednisone made her feet itch. Has anybody else ever had that? I've never heard of that side effect of prednisone and she had this anti-itch cream that she was putting on her feet but she couldn't even sleep at night because when she was taking high doses of prednisone her feet were itching and I would love to know if that's something that anybody else has has suffered. Uh, Also she says that because her hand is uncontrollable at times she's clumsy so she'll go to get change out of her purse and and give it to somebody at the store and she said one day her hand just threw the change all over the room she couldn't she couldn't control it. Um, she uh, she said that the same thing happened with a coffee mug one day. I think it was empty. I, I can't remember what she said, but she told me she had the same situation with a coffee mug. She did not look like she had moon face when we did our Zoom call, but she said she had a terrible, terrible moon face. And uh, that was... Um, that, that, I think, is pretty much passed now that she's on a, a lower dose. She's on five milligrams. Uh, she did gain 20 pounds, however, and then she said that's not going away. She talked about having fat gather around her knees, and I've never heard of that. Usually you think of your face and the back of your neck and your um, your midsection, but she's got like fat gathered around her knees. Interesting. Um, but another side effect that she's had, and she's noticed that she's even... Um, uh, I couldn't tell, but she said she's got peach fuzz. She's starting to grow some facial hair and a mustache, and she's attributing that to the prednisone as well. Um, So let's hope all of that goes away and that Remicade continues to work for her. But, you know, the thing about Lisa is she's very upbeat. She's very optimistic, and I think that's the best way and the best frame of mind to have to beat sarcoidosis and to get through these things that happen with these medications. So let's wish Lisa all the best. And I want to thank her once again for uh, sharing her story here on the Sark Fighter podcast and, and sharing her journey with us. Please don't forget to go back and listen. There's a couple bonus episodes on Sark and COVID and another bonus episode on dealing with prednisone in particular. Uh, those were rare opportunities where the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research got the top experts and, and some really good, solid patients who have been through some of these things and are very good at articulating it. Uh, and we all got together and we had a roundtable discussion. And uh, those were those turned out to be bonus episodes of the Sark Fighter podcast. There's links in the show notes. Uh, but go back and check those out. And they, they have been extremely popular and there's been a lot of interest in those. So check those out. Um, and if you're new here and you're trying to figure out what Sark is, go back and listen to the very first episode with Dr. Simon Hart of the UK. That is, uh, I think, the most listened to episode. And he really explains what sarcoidosis is and what's going on inside your body. 
if you are interested in any of this or if you, you know, I've, I've asked some questions about like the itching on your feet or, you know, anything that, that rings a bell with you, would you please send me an email? Or if you want to be on the podcast, it's carlinagency at gmail.com. And there's also a link to that in the show notes. You can follow the Sark Fighter on Instagram and on Facebook. And I just appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. If you like what's happening here, please repost the link on your social media and tell just one other person in the sarcoidosis space if you can find them. Just tell one other person, hey, have you listened to the Sark Fighter podcast? John has some really good guests on there, and and uh, I think you'd enjoy listening to them. Um, so and also give uh, give it a nice review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to find the Sark Fighter podcast. Thanks again to Lisa Flug for a great interview, and let's hope she continues to feel well. Until next time, keep fighting. Learn to suffer, you feel pain someday. Learn endurance, your strength will fade away. Dead men walking, trying to keep up the pace. Dead men walking.